One more time, good evening. We welcome you to our Wednesday night Bible class. Oh, this is Sunday night, isn't it? <laughs> you either ahead or behind. Must be a senior moment there, Brother you're either, Luther. You're either ahead or behind. I don't know. This has really been a significant weekend for several of members of our congregation. You know, uh, Teresa Cole's mom has passed away, Jetty Yates. The arrangements are uh, for visitation to be from 12 to 2 
and the funeral to be at 2 o'clock. That will be tomorrow at Macmillan Funeral Home. And then Lisa Horn's mother passed away, Sue Dillard, and her visitation is from 12 to 2, and the funeral is at 2 o'clock, and that will be at Gadsden Baptist Church. And we've heard recently that Marsha Meek's dad has passed away. You know, Marsha has been in Russia with her dad for several months, and we need to keep all three of those families in our prayers. In addition to the announcements that you heard this morning about, about uh, sick, I was just told that Craig Glenn is in the ICU in Corinth as low blood oxygen. Would you bow with me as we begin tonight? Our loving Heavenly Father, we know that you're the God of all comfort, and we, spe- we pray that you would be with these sisters of ours who have lost parents. We pray that you would comfort them. We pray that you would use us as your instruments of comfort in the days ahead. And Father, we pray that you would be with Brother Craig Glenn and help those who are ministering to him to be successful in restoring his health. We know that you're the great physician and all of our health is in your hands. We pray, Father, that you would be with us tonight as we continue our study in Joshua. We pray that we would not only learn what happened there, but make application to our own lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to thank Brother Brandon Elliott for covering the lessons on the defeated AI and the victory at AI. I thought he did an excellent job. We're blessed to have many people who are capable teachers here in this congregation. Um, I really appreciate my help here uh, tonight. Brother Rick Warner is excellent at reading, and I really appreciate him saving my voice. He's going to be reading many of the scriptures that we'll be covering tonight. You know, back in uh, a few weeks ago, we had an update on Pinevale, and since we donated the class time for that, this was planned to be a 13-week lesson our series, and so we're planning on covering two lessons tonight, or as much of those as we can possibly get through. I had called this Lesson 7. We're going to do Lesson 7 and Lesson 8. Lesson 7, I've entitled Forgetting to Ask God, because, you know, when we've studied once before, Joshua forgot to ask God, and here we're going to find him repeating that mistake. Uh, Rick, would you read uh, Joshua 9, 1 and 2, please? And it came to pass when all the kings... And it came to pass when all the kings were on this side of the Jordan and the hills and the lowland and all the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, and the Hevite, and the Jebusite heard about it, that they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. 
I call your attention to that uh, phrase there, they heard about it. Well, what did all these kings hear about that would cause them concern? Can you think of anything that they might have heard about? Jericho. What happened in Jericho? Walls fell. What else happened at Jericho? Killed everybody. It killed, they killed everybody there. Right, well, what else did they hear about? They crossed the Jordan on the dry, on dry ground. That was a, a tremendous miracle. And, you know, if something like that happened today, it would be all over the news. All right, what else did they hear about? Heard about Jericho. They heard about Jordan. Did they hear about anything else? Uh, heard about Ai. Oh, well, yes, at Ai. All the people at Ai got wiped out in the second battle. You know, I think they might have heard about some things before the children of Israel crossed the Jordan. What might they have heard about before the children of Israel crossed Jordan? We may get to that in this lesson. If we don't this week, Lord willing, we will next week. But there were some great battles on the east side of Jordan as well in which people were wiped out over there just like they were when they took Jericho. And so the word was out. And, you know, the miraculous Jordan crossing of Jordan, the defeat of Jericho, the defeat of Ai, and the defeats on the other side of Jordan. When the people of Gibeon heard of the destruction of Jericho and Ai, they devised a, a ruse or a trick to deceive the Israelites. And we're going to read about that here in Joshua chapter 9, verses 3 through 6. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors. And they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet, and old garments on themselves. And all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal, Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country. Now therefore make a covenant with us. Deception was what they planned. It was deliberate. They pretended to come in peace. They wanted to make a pact with Israel. They said they had come from afar off. They took old sacks and old shoes and wore old patch clothes. Even their wine bottles were deteriorating and they had moldy bread. It appeared that they had been traveling for a long way. Read on. Then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you will dwell among us, so how can we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you and where do you come from? So they said to him, From a very far country your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon king of Heshbon and to Og king of Bashan who was at Ashtaroth. Therefore our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us saying, 
take provisions with you for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. This bread of ours we took hot for our provisions from our houses on the day we departed to come to you. But now look, it is dry and moldy. And these wineskins which we feel were new and see they are torn. And these old garments, these, these our garments and our sandals have become old because of the very long journey. Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. Motivation of the Gibeonites, you, you can't really question their motivation. You know, they had heard about Jericho, they had heard about Ai, and as was said earlier, all the people in Jericho and all the people in Ai lost their lives. And the Gibeonites can see the handwriting on the wall. And their cities are very close to where the Israelites are staying there in Gilgal. And probably they're next on the list as the invasion proceeds. And so their motivation is we're going to make a covenant with Israel. They knew they didn't stand a chance against Israel, or especially against Israel with God on Israel's side. And they said they'd be servants. They'd rather be servants than be dead. But their story was filled with lies, especially about the length and the origin of their journey. There was a very important verse that we read there. It was verse 14. But they did not ask counsel of the Lord. Brother Luther asked the question, is hadn't God told them not to do that, not to mingle with the people? Is that correct? I see a lot of heads nodding out there. Not only that, the Gibeonites were of what particular, I guess you'd call it clan or tribe. What, what were the Gibeonites? Philistines. They were called Hivites. Okay, now that might be a subset of the Philistines. I don't know. I'm not that familiar with it. But... Joshua, right before they were going to cross Jordan, had told them that the Lord said he would help them to wipe out a whole list of people, and one of those that he lists are the Hivites. Now, is history repeating itself here? Can you think of another time that the Israelites made this same mistake of not asking God's counsel? Where did that happen before? At Ai, that's right, Sister Sue. It was Ai where they just went up and checked things out and said, we only need two or 3,000 men. To, you know, we don't have to have everybody go up there. And we know from the lesson that Brother Brandon uh, shared with us that 36 of them got killed. And, and one of the lessons was that we found out there is they did not consult with God. And here again, you got all these people coming in. Now, if I wanted to make application, 
we have a lot of people that come to the Boonville Church of Christ asking for help. And there's a lot of stories that go along with those that are asking for help. The Boonville Church of Christ has a reputation of having a big heart when it comes to people in need. Uh, when we have a special Mission Sunday, you just open up your pocketbooks and ha always are very benevolent in your giving. And we use that money to help people in need, not only in the congregation, but here in the community. But just like Joshua got tricked, sometimes we get tricked. And we find out that the story that we were told is not the same. So this, what Joshua was experiencing is not unique to, to Joshua or even to Christians today. But maybe there are some lessons we can learn from what he did or did not do. Let's look at verses 15 through 18, Rick. So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. And it happened at the end of three days after they had made a covenant with them that they heard that they were their neighbors who dwelt near them. Then the children of Israel journeyed and came to their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Sepharah, Beeroth, and Kirjith, Jeremon. But the children of Israel did not attack them, because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel, and all the congregation complained against the rulers. Remember when Joshua was asking the question, are you going to follow God? What did, what did the people of Israel say to him? We will. We will. They were united in, in declaring that they were going to follow what God said. So look here now, all the congregation complains against the rulers. Why are they complaining against the rulers? They knew they were supposed to destroy everybody, and now they're going, they have suddenly come to the cities of the Gibeonites, and they're not killing them. They're not doing what they did at Jericho, or not doing what they did at Ai. They're upset with their rulers. They knew they had been commanded to destroy the inhabitants of the land. I find it interesting how the rulers answered the people. Rick? Then all the rulers said to all the congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now, therefore, we may not touch them. This, will, this we will do to them. We will let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swore to them. And the rulers said to them, Let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for all the congregation, as the rulers had promised them. When these people of Israel made an oath, it was a serious thing. Can you think of anybody else that made an oath, a rash oath, but then had to follow through with it, but didn't, you knew he didn't want to? I wonder if they started to death. 
I was thinking an Old Testament. Can you think of an Old Testament person that made an oath? Jephthah made an oath about his daughter. The first thing I see, I'll sacrifice to you. And the first thing that came out was his daughter. Here we've got the rulers of Israel who have made an oath that they know is not what they should have done. They're sort of in a dilemma here. But in that dilemma, the people sort of give them an out, don't they? Let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for all the congregation as the rulers had promised them. And Joshua confronts these Gibeonites about their lies. We're going to look at verses 22 through 27. Then Joshua called for them, and he spoke to them, saying, Why have you deceived us, saying, We are... We are very far from you when you dwell near, near us. Now, therefore, you are cursed, and none of you shall be freed from being slaves, woodcutters, and water carriers for the house of my God. So they answered Joshua and said, Because your servants were clearly told that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. Therefore, we were very much afraid for our lives because of you and have done this thing. And now here we are in your hands. Do with us as it seems good and right to good and right to do to us. So he did to them and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel, so that they did not kill them. And that day Joshua made them woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord, in the place which he would choose even to this day. You know, Joshua has to be feeling bad about the oath that has been made. And he is, sometimes it's hard to decide what to do. If God had, if he had consulted God, we know what God would have told him to do. He'd told him to wipe them out, but he didn't consult God. And so they go out and, and make this covenant with the people without involving God. When we get to lessons learned, I think there's going to be some application for us here. But Joshua did place a curse on these Gibeonites. He didn't kill them. And as we said, the Jewish leaders considered their oath to be binding even though they had made it as a result of being tricked. Now, here are some of the lessons from chapter 9 that I think we can get. One is, be careful with whom you do business. In the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 14, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness. Whoever we do business with can have an influence on our lives. Be careful of your company would be the second thing. Uh... 1 Corinthians 15.33, do not be deceived, evil company corrupts good habits. That is correct. And then, this is, always ask God's counsel before taking action. Back in the 119th Psalm, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and light unto my path. 
As we've heard in sermons recently, we need to have the Word of God implanted in our hearts so that when we face a situation, we can, we, we can draw upon God's Word for His counsel. In James, the fourth chapter, verses 13 and then 15, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Even Jesus, when he was facing the cross, there in the garden, having those intense prayers, had an attitude of, I'm going to be obedient to your will. And we need to have that same kind of attitude in our own lives. And then, number four, verify the truth of what you're being told before taking action. I think, you know, I, Brother Tommy and I have spent quite a while uh, administering the benevolent program here at this congregation. And before that, Brother Eddie Mooney did, and now we're getting Brother Doug Smith involved in that some. And as I mentioned before, we hear all sorts of stories. Some of them are are really heart-rendering stories, and we have found that it really helps to go and check that out. I know there have been times when, uh, I remember one time a person asked me to have the church pay their rent for a week because their check was going to come in on Friday. They could pay the church back, but we just need it right now. And we asked for the address, and Janita and I went out to, to check where the house was, and you know, there wasn't a house on that vacant lot there. It just sent up a red flag. And if you start doing enough checking, you can start sending up some red flags. These people that Joshua were, was tricked by, their cities were only three days' journey away. If he had spent a little time, he could have checked that out, maybe. You know, in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, it says, Test all things, hold fast what is good. <clears throat> Lesson number eight. The battle belongs to the Lord. We're going to move into Joshua chapter 10. We may not get through this, but we'll go as far as we can. Five kings formed an alliance against Gibeon. Uh, they heard what the Gibeonites did, and they got mad at Gibeon, so they, they're going to fight against Gibeon. And they sent word to Joshua to help them. We're going to read about this in Joshua, the 10th chapter, starting in verse 1. Now it came to pass when Adonazedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it, as he had done to Jericho and its kings, so he had done to Ai and its kings and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, that they feared greatly, because Gibeon was a great city like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai and all its men were mighty. Therefore Adonazedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Saphia, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me, that we may attack Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. 
Therefore the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, gathered together and went up, they and all their armies, and camped before Gibeon and made war against it. If you were Joshua, how would you answer the request from the Gibeonites for help, knowing that they had just deceived you, caused you to move against things that you know was different than God's ultimate will for your people? You're Joshua, and you're being asked now, send your army to help us. What are you going to do? I think Joshua may have learned his lesson. Let's read about what Joshua and the Lord did, starting in verse 7. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Beth Horon, and struck them down as far as, as Azekah and Makedah. And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Horon, <clears throat> that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. I said it was the Lord, Joshua, and the Lord. The Lord was very involved in this battle. And I think it's important to notice here that both Joshua and the Lord are communicating with each other. And the Lord tells Joshua, don't be afraid that he would give them into the hands of the Israelites. We have known for quite a while that Joshua was a great general, even when the children of Israel were back in the wilderness. And Joshua's army marches all night, and the element of surprise is on Joshua's side. But even though Joshua was this great general, the Lord was in control. I would just, just notice a couple of verses that we've just heard. So the Lord routed them before Israel in verse 10. And then verse 11, that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them. And more people died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. This was a miraculous hailstorm, not a natural one. If you go back to Job, the 38th chapter, Job 38, verses 22 and 23. Have you entered the treasury of snow, or have you seen the treasury of hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? I, I believe it was in the movie Patton that Patton called in the chaplain and wanted the chaplain to pray for the weather to help him with the battle. I understand from history that the weather was favorable for Patton and his army. The Lord in this time used the weather 
to defeat these people, but he is still in control. And Joshua is not afraid to be bold in his prayer to God. Just look at what he prayed for here in Joshua 10, verses 12 through 15. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Agilon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven, and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. And there has been no day like that, before it or after it, that the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned, and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. Joshua needs more daylight so he can finish the battle. And he has the audacity to ask God to have the sun stand still. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped. It's important for us to realize that God has power over the universe. And that includes both the sun and the moon. As I was thinking about lessons for us, one of the things I wonder is, are we bold enough in our prayers to God? What is it that you envision for the Boonville Church of Christ? What is it that you envision for our mission efforts? What is it that you envision for the way that we respond to the needs of the people in this community? Do we have not because we ask not? Joshua wasn't told to ask God to have the sun stand still. He just had the confidence in God that God would do whatever is necessary so that God's will could be done. And we need to have the similar kind of confidence in God and the courage to ask God. You know, Joshua was not, was not the only person in the Bible that influenced God to manipulate time. Isaiah had a similar prayer answered with a miraculous time change. In 2 Kings 20, verses 8 through 11, And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, What is the sign that the Lord will heal me? and that I shall go up to the house of the Lord the third day. Then Isaiah said, This is the sign to you from the Lord, that the Lord will do the thing which he has spoken. Shall the shadow go forward ten degrees or go backward ten degrees? And Hezekiah answered, It is an easy thing for the shadow to go down ten degrees. No, but let the shadow go backwards ten degrees. So Isaiah the prophet cried out to the Lord, and he brought the shadow ten degrees backward by which it had gone down on the sundial of Ahaz. So here, once again, Isaiah is bold enough to ask God to do something that is totally illogical and we would think unscientific, and God does it. That's right. 
even NASA hadn't figured it out. But you know, God has power and might. In 2 Chronicles 20, verses 5 and 6, would you read that, please, Rick? Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? You know, those uh, five enemy kings did not get away. Let's see what happened to them here in Joshua 10, 16 through 28. But these five kings had fled and hidden themselves in a cave at Makkedah. And it was told Joshua, saying, The five kings have been found hidden in the cave at Makkedah. So Joshua said, Roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard them. And do not stay there yourselves, but pursue your enemies and attack their rear guard. Do not allow them to enter their cities, for the Lord your God has delivered them into your hand. Then it happened while Joshua and the children of Israel made an end of slaying them with a very great slaughter, till they had finished that those, that those who escaped entered fortified cities. And all the people returned to the camp to Joshua at Makedah in peace. No one moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. Then Joshua said, Open the mouth of the cave and bring out those five kings to me from the cave. And they did so and brought out those five kings to him from the cave. And the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. So it was when they brought out those kings to Joshua that Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said to the captains of the men of war who went with him, Come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. And they drew near and put their feet on their necks. Then Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage, for thus the Lord will do it to all your enemies against whom you fight. And afterward Joshua struck them and killed them and hanged them on five trees, and they were hanging on the trees until evening. So it was at the time of the going down of the sun that Joshua commanded, and they took them down from the trees, cast them into the, the cave where they had been hidden, and laid large stones against the cave's mouth which will remain until this very day. On that day, Joshua took Makeda and struck it and its kings with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed them, all the people who were in it. He let none remain. He also did to the king of Makeda as he had done to the king of Jericho. Just a little bit of reflection here. We read, or we heard read that Joshua had the five kings brought out of the cave, and then they put their had he had the soldiers put their feet on their necks. Uh, I've got up here that this was a symbol of domination and rule. This is a learning experience for his troops, and he's going to take advantage of that learning experience. He tells his men not to be afraid, to be strong and courageous. Is this the first time they heard this? Do you ever hear a sermon and hear something that you've heard before? I mean, he, in Joshua, the first chapter, we hear several times this phrase, be strong and courageous. And now here another time, he brings his army together. He's got the five kings there with feet on their neck. And he's telling his troops again, 
Be strong and courageous. This is a, an illustration that God is in control, that we are winning the victory. And this incident was proof of God's help and protection. We're going to read about what this army does now. They go into battle and there is no hope for the enemy. You know, Joshua killed the kings and hung them on five trees until evening. At sunset, he took them down and put them back in the cave and sealed it with a rock. The Bible says they're still there. And when the Israelites finished, there were no survivors in that town where this cave was close to. You know, this is uh, we're, what we're really getting into here is the southern campaign that includes the longest day. We're going to see that... When we get to next week's lesson, we'll deal with the northern campaign. But you can see there all those various cities that they defeated. All right, Rick. Then Joshua passed from Mechadah and all Israel with him to Lebna, and they fought against Lebna. And the Lord also delivered it and its king into the hand of Israel. He struck it and all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword. He let none remain in it, but did to its king as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua passed from Lebna and all Israel with him to Lachish, and they encamped against it and fought against it. And the Lord delivered Lachish into the hand of Israel, who took it, took it on the second day and struck it and all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword, according to all that he had done to Lebna. Then Horam, king of Yezar, came up to help Lachish, and Joshua struck him and his people until he left him, left him none remaining. From Lachish, Joshua passed to Eglon, and all Israel with him, and they encamped against it and fought against it. They took it on that day and struck it with the edge of the sword. All the people who were in it he utterly destroyed that day, according to all that he had done to Lachish. Then, then Horam of King. So Joshua went up from Eglon and all Israel with him to Hebron, and they fought against it. And they took it and struck it with the edge of the sword, its kings and its cities, and all the people who were in it. He left none remaining according to all that he had done to Eglon, but utterly destroyed it and all the people who were in it. So Joshua returned and all Israel with him to Debir, and they fought against it. And he took it and its king and all its cities. They struck them with the edge of the sword and utterly destroyed all the people who were in it. He left none remaining as he had done to Hebron, so he did to Debir and its king, as he had done also to Lebanon and its king. So Joshua conquered all the land, the mountain country and the south and the lowland and the wilderness slopes and all their kings. He left none remaining but utterly destroyed all that breathed, as the Lord God of Israel had commanded. And Joshua con conquered them from Kadesh Barnea as far as Gaza and all the country of Goshen, even as far as Gibeon. All these kings and their land Joshua took at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. I think about uh, Philippians 4.13 and, and Paul's comment about being able to do all things because Christ was with him. You know, when I look at Joshua and his army and all of this defeats of one group right after another, it's obvious that God was with Joshua. The lessons that I hope we get from Joshua 10 is that God's Word should be repeated for emphasis at appropriate times. And we talked about that when he talked again about 
telling his people to be strong and courageous. And then right after that, they go on this tremendous uh, battle from one city to another. Second is, if God is fighting with us against our enemies, the, the victory is going to be fabulous. I don't know how many Israelites were killed during all of these battles, but the Bible only talks about 36. And, and everybody got wiped out in the land of Canaan. And those 36 were when there was sin in the camp. When you finish the battle, it's good to go back to your home base where things are safe and you're surrounded by family. The Israelites went back to Gilgal, which was their home base. You know, when Paul was going on missionary journeys, especially the first and the second missionary journey, he came back to Antioch. And it sounds like that was a good celebration where he could reflect on all the good things that went on on that missionary journey. It's, there is comfort in being with the family. That's why it's so good when we can come back together to worship. It's a comfort to one another for us to be together. And I know we've got to go out into the world. We've got to evangelize the world. We've got to fight against the evil that is in the world. But we need to come back together for reinforcements. That is when we're strongest. The Lord's Supper has been left prepared in the little chapel. If you did not have an opportunity to partake this morning, you may go. And if you need to go, you can leave now. And I'm going to lead us in a dismissal prayer. Our loving Heavenly Father, we know there is great power when you are on our side. We pray, Father, that we would live our lives so that we trust in your word so that we consult you before we do things, so that we know that we are your servants here on this earth. We pray your blessings to be with us. In Christ's name, amen.